podcast with James and Jane. Hey, this is Jane. And just before we get into this episode, I want to remind you all about the great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io. Over there, you can check out our online seminar program, the workshops we run, as well as our coaching and all the other podcasts we've recorded. So that's www.worldofwork.io. Now on to this episode. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are again with another episode of the World of Work podcast. It's a lovely Friday afternoon. What are we speaking about today, Jane? Oh, well, it's very appropriate for a Friday afternoon in our mood because uh, we are talking about laughter and play at work. And we have special guests, uh, Stephanie Wheeler and Teresa Lehman, who are coaches who uh, have uh, an in-depth experience of bringing these things to life with teams. And, and you know what? They're actually writing a book on the subject as well, which is really cool. It's really great timing. So we're going to get to benefit from some of their great research in our upcoming conversation. So let us jump in and get on with that. Okay, so here we are in the main body of this podcast. And today we are speaking to Stephanie and Teresa. And we're speaking about laughter and playfulness and what they are and what they mean and the roles that they play in our workplaces and our experiences at work. Um, Before we do that, though, would you be able to introduce yourselves to the audience and say a little bit more about yourselves and your background? Maybe Stephanie, you could go first and then Teresa. Um, So, yes, I'm a leadership and personal development coach. Um, We met doing a master's um, of coaching behavioral change at Henry Business School. And um, a previous work chapter, I was a lawyer working in the city and um, with Sotheby's and now concentrating on uh, working one-to-one, working with teams, and interested in a number of things, one of them being play and playfulness and laughter. Um, I've, uh, it was my dissertation topic for my master's, I've published since since, and Teresa and I are now working on a book on um, playfulness in coaching conversations, and what it looks like, what it can contribute, and what might get in the way. Yep, and uh, I've worked with uh, technical teams probably over the last 25 years in in large blue chip and gaming companies. And as Steph mentioned, um, I studied at Henley and we have uh, graduated now uh, with our master's in coaching. And one of my big passions is how to work with teams and individuals to create not only high performing teams, but thriving teams. And I think there's a real area in need and, and lots of opportunity in this space. So delighted to be involved in this project with Steph and to be able to talk to you guys today. Great. Well, it's exciting. exciting to have you. It's such a fascinating subject as well. Um, you know, laughter and play are clearly things that uh, are important, certainly in you know, the formative years of our lives and throughout the rest of our lives. I guess if we start with some really basics, could you just Say a couple of words about laughter and play and what they are, maybe. I know it sounds like a basic question, but what, what is laughter and, and why do we do it? And, and what is play and, and why, do we, why do we play? Or why are we playful, perhaps? Do you know, part of me wishes it was such a basic question. <laughs> Once you start getting into it, it's horribly complicated, um, but it's delightful. I mean, but it, it isn't actually as straightforward as you think it would be. So, you know, everybody has an idea, this is laughter, this is play. But actually, when you get into the nitty gritty and trying to define it and measure it and, and, and you know, what variables there are, it's really complex. Um, but also really simple, right? Because you know it when you're experiencing it. Um, and I think one of the, sometimes when something is really difficult, it's easier to think about what it's not. Um, and I think 
we're interested in this space because we're trying to get away from the very cognitive, very kind of, you know, logical A, A plus B equals C approach, but actually trying to get into that space where, where you're playing with ideas, basically. And you're kind of in that part of your brain where you're accessing different ideas, different memories, different knowledge that you don't necessarily do in other states of mind. And then the, the play and the laughter could be behavioral evidence that you're in that space. Um, so we're not trying to make people laugh. I think that would terrify both of us. <laughs> but equally, you know, when it's working, you can see in the behavior that, okay, these people are now in a, in a playful space. Now we get to the really the good stuff, the creation, the innovation, the kind of the collaboration. Um, How interesting. And, and I'll let Teresa jump in too, but I think partly kind of it's once you understand biologically what's going on when you're playing and laughing, then it's kind of almost easier to then try and define it because you know kind of what you're talking about. Um, I feel a little bit like a politician trying to evade the answer. But <laughs> <laughs> so how much is a pint of milk? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Picking up on, um, you know, if, if you think about those, you know, uh, the states of play um, and what we're kind of suggesting and uh, wanting to share is that this is a very credible way of working, uh, things to incorporate within the workplace, uh, particularly as complexity is increasing, uh, increasing need for collaboration, uh, co-creation, all, all of these things. Um, and play can have a role in that. Um, laughter is a byproduct, and just just touching on laughter, you know, some interesting points that um, I've picked up um, having shared some of the research now and, and getting more to grips with this stuff with with Stephanie is um, a lovely um, psychologist, um, a lady called um, Sophie Scott. Uh, she does a lot of work in this area, sharing that you know. Back in the day, Charles Darwin, you know, really saw laughter as uh, what, you know, very key emotion. But through psychology and science, you know, most of the focus has been on more of the negative emotions, you know, to fix particular problems. And you can understand why, but maybe we're missing a trick here. So we're trying to shine the light here to say, actually, you know, if, if uh, there's an increasing need, maybe this can play a role. Um, and some of the facts around laughter is, again, quite interesting. You're 30 times more likely to laugh with others than you are alone. You want to be included in the laugh, not excluded. We've all been in those situations. So. Yeah, with, not at, that kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, Barbara Friedrichsen, again, a lovely, uh, you know, done a huge amount of work in this space. And, and it's this, this space is growing in its science and the support from psychologists and people like that. And um, again, is showing that when you're accessing these states, you have an increased ability to broaden and build, which is really the states that you want to be in if you think about when you're collaborating within a group. And yet we can only laugh or, or really fully play when we have you know, psychological safety and we feel comfortable within a group. Otherwise it, it becomes a bit fake or disingenuous or, or you know, um, so it, it, as Steph says, you know, these are markers and evidence that um, these states, once accessed, brings you into the higher minds, which is the states you want to be in for co-creation and collaboration. 
certainly, you know, reflecting on my personal experience of the different places that I've worked, um, I know that the places that felt the most productive, energetic, creative, um, you know, adaptable, connected to others were places where there was permission to laugh and to play and, and to, to throw things around and, and hold things lightly and experiment and prod and suggest things in a uh, in a really open way. So so it's great to hear that there's sort of science behind some mm. of that thinking um, as well. In terms of what that laughter, I mean, you said it, it's it's uh, we should be looking for laughter as a signal for something else happening underneath to the state that we want to be in. In terms of that laughter, does it does it affect us? Some of you know the biological stuff. You talked about some of the biological impacts, and the, what, what kind of stuff does laughter really do for us? How does it affect us or play for that matter? Can we take a step back first and and take, course, take yeah. a back take a step and play? And if we look mm-hmm. at the work of um, a man called Pangsep, and he was known as the rat tickler <laughs> because he, he spent the first half of his career looking at um, abandonment and, you know, where there isn't attachment and all really sad things. And he decided to spend the second half of his career looking at the, the joy and the happiness and then after in psychology. Good way to do it. Yeah. Uh, and lovely. And, and he, he did his work with rats because basically he had to go into the kind of that core part of the brain where you can't experiment on with humans without doing them some lasting life-changing damage. Um, so um, he worked with rats and he, he ended up being known as the, the, the rat tickler because uh, he had a laboratory of laughing rats, <laughs> which you could actually hear. You could see it on YouTube. If you, if you Google laughing rats, you at a certain frequency and they're being tickled and they laugh. And, what he found is that we have a, a very deep in the instinctual part of, of the mammalian brain are several, um, seven, in fact, neural circuitries, which, are, which we share with other mammals. And one of those is play. So, you know, it's not some little nice thing that we add on top. It's deep in our circuitry. Um, and the, the laughter, again, we try to it gets quite complicated, so it's easier to see play and laughter separately because otherwise it gets a little sure. bit of a muddle. Um, but if you so if you think of that kind of deep embedded neural circuitry, of which one of those is play, so we have we're deeply wired to play, and then this will all make sense in a minute when you get a step back. But could it see that layer first, and then look at the work of um, somebody called Porges, who um, developed polyvagal theory, which is very relevant to trauma. Um, mm-hmm. So not what you'd necessarily expect when you're talking about, you know, play, playfulness. Yeah. Um, but he was, so he was looking at our peripheral nervous system. So this is the nervous system outside of our, uh, outside of our um, spinal cord and our brain. So, you know, the other, other nervous system. And that is uh, two systems, the sympathetic, which is the fight or flight, which we all know about, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of protection from immediate danger. So physically, we, we, we sweat, or our heartbeat goes up, we breathe more rapidly. And in that state of mind, um, because it's protection from immediate danger, um, we lose access to subtle, complex memories and the kind of the more kind of intricate bits of our thinking. Okay, so that's your one state. And then you have another state, which is, which he identified as a third stage, which is the shutdown circuit which where uh-huh. you can't escape, you can't fight. And you, we share this with the stonefish, <laughs> where we just got to go. <laughs> we just basically freeze because there's no other option available. Yeah. To us. And, and as you can imagine in that state, so, you know, for example, in a podcast, somebody asks you a question and you just cannot answer. <laughs> yes, yes, that's really all about that. <laughs> so that's the freeze mode. And then he was interested yeah. in looking at the parasympathetic, the um, 
the, the counterbalance to the fight or flight, which is the rest and digest. So now we're kind of, we're, we're, we're physically, we're relaxed, we're feeling safe, our body can rest, it can digest. And we then have access to the higher cortical functions. Um, so we, we can think in a more diverse way and we can express ourselves and we can behave in more diverse ways. And so if we think of those as the three states and that the, the, the rest and digest state is a social connection state. And it's in that state that we play. And, and, and in that state, that's when we connect with other people. And the laughter comes into it because the laughter is also having physiological effect. So it's producing kind of good hormones, um, yeah. you know, the kind of the anti-stress hormones, which are reducing our stress, but also the endorphins, the serotonins, oxytocin, all the feel-good stuff, which also connects us to other people. Um, right. so, so that's why this is so important, because if we're in the space of collaboration and teamwork and, and, and accessing those bits in our brain where, where the good stuff is, that's the state we want to be in. That makes perfect sense. And it's, um, it's interesting. It sounds like there's a bit of a, a virtual, uh, virtuous cycle in there as well. So when we're in that state, it's easier for us to laugh and play. And when we laugh and play, it's easier for us to do that. Is this the type of thing that over the, I guess, the lifespan of a relationship or, or maybe a team, is this the type of thing that gets easier if you work on it, given that? Or, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would very much imagine so. I mean, having worked with uh, particularly tech teams, but, you know, in the business sector, high-tech companies, you see those teams that have um, an ability to interact, share ideas, uh, build and broaden, bounce things around. Um, you mentioned it yourself, James, you can feel it. You can feel mm. that in, in a group. And when you don't have that, that's when things can get trickier and uh and and it is a bit of an enigma, um, you know. Why is it that some teams have this, some teams don't, and you know what's the alchemy behind it? Um, and this is what this research is is uh, looking into more and more. Um, but uh, you know, Google, you know, with with Amy Edmondson's work, you know, shared you know big big role that psychological safety has to play in this. So you know that's a factor. And the more safe you feel, you know, the more more able you are to kick around those, you know, or say the things that are you might think are silly or, or whatever. And, you know, the team can grab that and build on it. And uh, again, you know, if you're looking, I think play, you can really see as a bedfellow to creation. And having worked with tech teams for so many years, either creating new technical games or solutions or working in high-tech support, uh, the teams that, that do better and the people that do better are those that are be, you know, able to, I call it kind of you know, highly engaged, but with a sense of ease, they can remain resilient even you know, in tough, under-pressure situations. And um, this idea of being able to play with ideas, play with scenarios, step back, hold things objectively, you know, all seem to be uh, components of that. Wow. And that's you, you just mentioned something that I'm really interested in there, which is this idea that's that maybe ha is it possible to both laugh and be playful whilst also sort of being very focused and I guess traditionally the word would be serious and actually getting stuff done and and what do those look like when they happen sort of alongside each other 
Yeah, it's such an interesting question, isn't it? And there's a, a really good book by a lady called uh, uh, Di Gamage. Um, and she's a play therapist and does a lot of work in this in this particular space. And in there she shares around, um, you know, this this dualistic approach between play and work and touches on very much. You know, if you think about us as children, when we're growing up, you know, um, at school, work is very serious. You know, you do your lessons, you know, um, God forbid you bring any play into that, you know, and then play is outside. And that's where you go and have some relief from the work. You know, you go and be silly and all of that. And she said having that dualistic approach maybe isn't as helpful. And maybe to think of, of things more in a continuum. And in here, she suggests um, from, you know, various different works of different people in this space uh, to think of play uh, as part of a continuum. <clears throat> and at the other end of the continuum, it isn't work, you know, so it isn't play versus work. Um, it's a spectrum. And at the end, it's depression. And um, so play versus depression or, or, or on that continuum. And I thought that was for me, that was a big insight because, you know, I mean, ideally, you know, in companies, you know, are we aiming for depressed employees? <laughs> No, you know, and, and innately we know the more people can access and be at ease but highly engaged, this is particularly when you're working with intellectual teams that need to be able to create and co-create. If they're in flight or fight or too pushed into that serious fear-based, some of those things in the older management styles, the different workforces might have been more appropriate. Um, it just shuts down the thinking. You know, you go into automatic mode and you stop thinking in a, in a creative manner, particularly for a sustained period of time. And and do you, and, and this may not be covered in your research, but do you have any thoughts on whether that differs depending on the, the subject of the work? So uh, where people are working on a more serious project or topic, and I, I, I use serious and it's probably not the right word, but something that maybe has... Uh, safety ramifications or data protection ramifications or something like that versus something that might be creation of um, entertainment material yeah. online or something like that. Yeah, and again, she she goes into this quite heavily. Um, I think in any situation where you need to create and think up different options and solutions, there is a role of playing with ideas. Um, and by that, I kind of mean uh, by play an ability to step back and role model uh, different scenarios. Um, and I think you can do that in a very focused way. If you look at the way, um, you know, I was an army wife for, for 15 years and my, my husband's left the forces now, but I've grown up around military uh, most of my life. Um, and you can see this, uh, excuse the pun, playing out in, in, in a lot of their operations from the minute an, an army recruit joins, uh, there is a whole raft of support and engagement to develop that person to be able to um, collaborate and work as a team. And there are elements you can see within the forces of play, uh, not only from sports, you know, there's a heavy emphasis there on sports for the team building abilities and trying those things out, but also, um, 
you know, the forces will go out on exercise where effectively they're, they're wargaming and they're, they're practicing. And I think, you know, there's, you can kind of see that in that sphere, you know, probably, you know, in the NHS, I'm not so close to, to the NHS, but there must be situations there where they are playing with scenarios. Um, in business, um, I've always been struck by the idea that we, apart from team building, most of the companies, and I've worked for some terrific companies with huge budgets for personal development of um, employees, there is an assumption that people know how to collaborate and work together um, and, and effectively play together, you know, that collaboration synergy. Um, and I think that, you know, we're missing a trick there um, in the business sector and we could be learning a lot from all the other sectors and what they're doing. So in a roundabout way, I'm saying, I think, you know, even in the most serious situations, this ability to move into a playful state has a role and you can hold it with you know focus and seriousness yeah and certainly my experience um of, of dealing with teams in the non-profit sector who've been dealing with some quite serious uh potentially you know fairly impactful decision making where you can create an environment where they can literally play with the options and interact with them in different ways amongst their the sort of groups and stuff creates just a completely different environment because it allows them to feel like they can be really exploratory with their ideas around how it might be shaped but it, I don't like just like you said we we see it very very rarely um you mentioned there are a couple of different ways that teams that are able to do this and 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 have this ability to play together are different from teams that don't. Are there any other differences that you see either around um, whether they are more productive or more engaged or anything like that? Yeah, and and, and I've noticed as well, you know, Steph, you probably got some, you know, quite a rich lot of things to, to add to this. But just just to that that quick point, Jane. Um, yeah, um, again, working with high tech support teams the ability to step back and really look at what the problem is in a focused way, play with the scenarios, invariably means that they're better equipped to make um, clearer decisions, um, even if sometimes it means um, a better outcome would be to go for a long-term option, but for now we'll do a fixed pack solution. It just means that everyone's a bit more clear and transparent and things are, are better thought through. Uh, so in that sense, you know, productivity is improved. Um, and I'll let Steph jump in as well, because I can see you're itching to, to share a few things there. Um, I actually just wanted to go back to the previous point. So I was, I was, I was wanted to get my two points in worth about, about this point, that it's interesting what you said, Jane, but I think there's still um, a kind of an assumption that when we're talking about play, we're talking about fun and frivolity and, and, and you know, this image of children at play and kind of um, silliness. And it just made me think about when I was saying at the beginning that you know, research into adult playfulness is still quite young, um, but we are now getting to the point where various models of playfulness are being proposed. And one of them splits playfulness into four different categories. And one of them is serious playfulness. And it's this idea of holding complexity and enjoying difficult problems. 
Um, and, and that's different, different from whimsical or silly or other directed playfulness, which are the other categories. And they're, they're each individual. So they're not a little bit of this and a little bit of that. They're just different types of playfulness. And, and really in the research and the writing, originally I was just really interested in this serious playfulness. Um, so how can we deal with serious issues and serious problems, but hold on to that lightness and that perspective? Um, and just as Teresa was saying, you know, it's, it's that ability to step out of, to become your observing self, the observing team, to, to have a little bit of distance, but equally creating that psychological safety because we are seeing other team members without our preconceptions and our pre-ideas of who they are and what they are. But we're really taking a step back and seeing things more for what they really are rather than just through our lens. Um, I've um, co-authored a research paper recently on Lego series play and the impact of Lego series play on teams and their collaboration, psychological safety and cohesion. So, you know, your question, what's the difference between the, the teams who play? I just want to pull it back to expanding what we understand by play you know, and expanding, you know, we're not necessarily talking about, I have horrible memories of team building events. <laughs> I was a lawyer where we were all having fun. And actually, I just wanted to go yeah, home and yeah, yeah, die. Yeah. It was awful. <laughs> so I just really <laughs> want to pull us away from, you know, any preconceived ideas of what we immediately think about at play at a work context. Because I think part of the reason Teresa and I are so interested and passionate about this is that we had some pretty, I don't know, it might be exaggeration for me scarring that took me a long time to recover from so you know and and the facilitators there thought you know we were playing as all good team building but oh gosh you know it, you know for me it was it was it wasn't a good experience um so I, I kind of want to challenge a little bit about what we might understand by play in a work context um so now that I've completely diverted that conversation, coming back to the second question, yes, I think you do see difference in teams because I think you do see a difference in, in their ability to step out of themselves a little bit and step out of their teams and have more awareness of the team as a system and the bigger system within the, which the team works. Um, and, and you can combine it with all sorts of things. You know, Teresa and I are also very interested in the whole space of psychological safety and compassion self-compassion and mm. compassion for others. And we were talking the other day saying, isn't that funny how we're both interested in play and playfulness, and yet we're both really interested in, in compassion and, and, and that space. Um, but they're not, you know, when we go back to physically and, and kind of physiologically what's happening to us, it makes sense because actually, you know, when we're in that social engagement state, we're also connecting with others. We're also compassionate towards others, empathetic. And, you know, there's so much research in positive psychology now to kind of say that, you know, the, 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 the happier teams, the more engaged teams, the more kind of compassionate teams for each other, they are more productive. You know, they, they, they are more resilient. Um, so I think it's in that space that, that play, if we kind of give it a wider definition, um, sits. Well, one of the things that, um, that I love to do, and it's kind of my primary objective when I'm working, is to, to get to the stage where, I'm sort of connectedly, collaboratively problem solving with others. And for me, that, that feels kind of like if I'm doing it well, that's playing. And I feel like I can joke with that, but it's, um, it's about creativity. It's about challenging to find new things, you know, things like uh, in, a, in, a, in outside of the work context, things like uh, escape rooms or puzzle games and all those things. That's the type of play that I, I, I 
thrive on or I, I feel hugely rewarding. Um, and so trying to create that space in, in work is really good for, for me when it happens. Is that the type of thing that, that you class as play within that earlier uh, you know, desire to separate it from just the, the more frivolous play, if you will? I think absolutely. And, and, you know, the feeling that you get when you've got a group, you know, even whether it's with one other or a team, um, you know, it is the best feeling, you know, so you know that pretty much you can go into any situation and be able to solve, sort, create, do it, it you know, it, that, that's the magic and um, uh, very much about helping teams uh, get to that and facilitate that is 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 the whole point of of this and and trying to move the industry forward so you know more people have access to it. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, work is fun as opposed to work is drudge, right? I mean, we you can do really boring things in really fun ways, or you can do really interesting things in massively boring <laughs> ways. Absolutely. You know, and I've I've had the privilege and the uh, unfortunateness of having to do both of those extremes. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, and I guess you know also just in the wider context of where we are now, you know, we're we're as we're talking, we're in August, you know, with COVID, and um, most people still working from home and being isolated, and you know that has a two prong effect. You know, anxiety levels are much higher. Um, the things that we could, I was listening on the radio the other day. It was a professor, I think, who's just published a book on the the, the case for oxytocin. And, you know, the, the love hormone and the, the hormone that we normally get from touch and from, you know, if you think back to primates, they get that from grooming, you know, so they're physically grooming each other and that releases oxytocin. And we get it from hugs and from handshakes and high fives and all this. And, and with all this yeah, social, um, uh, see, this is my, this is my stonefish brain, <laughs> social isolation. <laughs> there we go. Social isolation. Um, we're not getting that, you know, but, but laughter does produce um oxidation as well it's not as good as but but so actually and also so that's one challenge with the increased anxiety we have you know with covid and the other is working from home that we're working and living in the same space you know so before we we had a little bit more differentiation so if we were very stressed at work we could at least get home and and um and and have a kind of a balance so i think it's even more important now when work and, and 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 home and everything is so intertwined and we are more isolated from friends and colleagues, that we make space for this and that we acknowledge this as well. And, you know, we, we actively are conscious of the benefits it can bring, both to our, our sanity, frankly, <laughs> never mind about flourishing, yeah. but our sanity and our productivity, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, how well we engage at work and how well we work with others. And in, in the stuff that you've done and the stuff that you've looked at, do you see... Um, correlation or relationship between things like the laughter or the, the playfulness of a team, let's say, and the longer term engagement, motivation, retention. And what about sort of more physical things for individuals? Is, is there, do you see links similar to those we see with positive psychology, where we see links to things like lifespan or life expectancy and, and things like that? Do you, do you see those connections at all in, in the things you've seen? Um, well, in, 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 some areas, I think this is an area to to really, you know, it's a great question. Um, it's one of those. Um, so I think there's there's more to be um, linked to there um, to really, you know, answer that fully. Um, but what we are seeing, you know, so Google's, you know, Project Aristotle uh, with psychological safety is is so important. 
Um, you can also see, you know, uh, when you look at the work of thriving, a key component that is learning and growth. And we know that play is, is one of our fundamental, like, like Steph was saying, you know, it's innately built ability. You know, most of us have experienced play in our lives and have that ability. Not all of us, you know, sorry to say, but, you know, and that sometimes it hasn't been developed, you know, from early childhood. And um, but most of us have that capability and through school and things like that, it's been kind of educated out of us or not seen as, um, you know, the permission for it or the credibility. Um, but play itself is our fun one of our fundamental fundamental ways to to grow and learn and to change. And if you think about uh, individuals and teams, companies, you know, needing to be able to change, adapt, grow continually, particularly in this day and age with increased complexity and all the rest of it, um, this ability to play, you know, becomes even more and more. I think interesting and what is being missed by not catering for it um, and thriving uh, a lot of you know research is increasing in that area now so they all they're all kind of coming in into the fore I think in, in particularly you know in the last decade or so and, and increasingly now in this decade um, with the future generations coming through um, thriving is saying about um, the more that teams and individuals have a sense of thriving, you know, again, there's a lot of links there with engagement. Um, the company that I've been working with for several years, um, we did a lot around engagement and some of the factors there. Um, and I think some of the temptations can be if we, if we, you know, put in a foosball table and a slide and make the environment playful, then we've done the job, right? You will have fun now, <laughs> right? That kind of thing, right? You know, yeah, we've seen that. Uh, you know, and, and if anything, that can move, if, if, if everything else isn't congruent with this, you know, at the intention level, the beliefs, the behaviours, the values, if it feels fake or incongruent or a tick box, straight away that can cause a huge amount of disengagement and you know some of those kind of forced team building you know that Steph was talking about that you know both of us have had you know horrifying team building <laughs> experiences that I think most people can relate to um you know it, it, it kind of has the reverse effect so I think you know this is really opening up the conversation to saying um at the intention level the belief level what are the small things, the genuine things? You know, play can be invited. It can't be forced. And with that, it's the same if it's with engagement. You know, it's it, again, engagement can't be forced. I can't force you to be engaged. <laughs> yeah, I can invite yeah. you, you know, and it's it's that kind of yeah. thing. I've got um, I've got uh, another question that's that's run to my mind, which may just be me waffling let's see um you've talked about complexity a few times in what you're doing and, and sort of linking complexity into this one of the the senses that i get when we think about bits of complexity um and an increasingly complex world is that we have uh sometimes a predisposition to hold on to things too tightly to over invest in our own decisions and to maybe attribute ego or other things like that to 
um, our decision-making processes and that in turn makes it harder for us to move and change and, and reduces our agility and all of those things. Do you think playfulness supports increased agility within teams and an ability to, to let go and hold things lightly and not be judged and, and in, in such does it prepare organizations more for you know, to use a, a bit of a silly phrase for the VUCA world, right? Does that does that fit within where, where you think this stuff fits? Yeah, I mean, very much. Oh, go on. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you, want to go you can tell, yes. <laughs> yeah. Leaning forward, it's time. <laughs> it's such a fascinating topic. Isn't it? It is. um, I'll say a little bit, and then I'm, I know you're going to build on it, but if, if we look at... Okay, so... so there is a bit of research on adult playfulness. There is even less research on laughter. And there is even less research on humor because humor is difficult to research because you're looking at um, what's going on inside the head rather than behavior that you can measure and so on. But what we do know with humor, one of the areas of the brain that is really active um, is the... Okay, my Latin is terrible. I'm not even going to try. It's... <laughs> It's, okay, I won't try. Um, it's the part of your brain that um, if you think of our brain not as a, some sort of um, uh, kind of master computer that filters everything out and then comes up with the ideal question, but if you think of it instead as mo- of, of different modules that are all coming up with ideas and all coming up with solutions, and, and our brain has an area in it that, um, that basically regulates this. So it'll, it can amp up or amp down different parts of the brains that are coming up with ideas which is why laughter humor play is really great for insight because we're we're giving a chance for those other noises other bits of information to come out um and you know we've all been in that situation where you kind of think you you think you've got the answer but the wrong answer keeps coming into your head you know whether you're doing a crossword or whatever and this happens to me a lot where i think that and that's wrong but make some space in my brain for the right answer i know it's in there so so that that bit gets strengthened like a muscle when when um, you know when we're when we access the humor, the laughter, the play. So physiologically, neuro, neurologically, I'm, I'm not a neuroscientist, you can tell from my great um, um, definition of brain parts. But but it's putting it as, an, as in a space where actually, as you say, there's certain ideas that we hold on to because we're invested in them, or they're kind of tied to you know, importance for us for various reasons because of where they came from or, you know, who got the idea. And we're learning to actually quieten that down a bit and give chance for other ideas to pop out, other memories, other information. Um, so, Teresa. Mm. Yeah, and that's lovely stuff because that, that really kind of helps, you know, I think we, we've all been in those situations with teams where, you know, for whatever reason, we're not able to access the thoughts because we're, you know, under pressure within the team itself or with whatever the task is at hand, or for whatever reason, we have the idea, but we don't feel willing to share it, you know, and this is where the psychological safety, you know, plays such a part and where, you know, I think teams could really invest time and effort so that everyone, you know, if they have the idea, they're not sitting on it. And this is where this where agile teams, you know, particularly in the whole VUCA world, um, and an ability to be able to rapidly change, hold ideas and pivot, you know, particularly with bigger companies, they have such a challenge pivoting because, like you said, you know, individual ego, security, all of that's 
stuff gets kind of mixed in. And with the capability of play, focus play or more, you know, free play, like Steph said, this muscle, this capability, you know, if we build that within individuals and teams, you know, and team to teams, it means that we can be more comfortable with stepping into the observing self, the observing team, to let go of the ego. So, you know, if I come up with a bright idea, it isn't Teresa's bright idea, it's an idea that's thrown into the pot. Now, how it stands in relation to what it is we need to get done and the need of the time is separate to my value and status within the team. Um, and you see this a lot, particularly in new teams or uh, with certain individuals. Um, you know, it, it can really stop the flow of, of solutioning because you can see straight away they can be quite hurt or, you know, or, or angry or frustrated because their ego is tied up with this idea. As soon as you separate the thing, um, it becomes a lot easier. So for most of my career as you know, working in agile with software development teams, with individuals and, and solution teams, as soon as you spell this out, it's, it's quite a simple thing. As soon as you just name it, teams are able to start to work with it and cater for it. You know, they don't need any fancy equipment or psychological you know, tools and techniques, as soon as you spell it out, they're equipped. And there's lovely techniques that can help build on that. So to make things more objective and less subjective. And that leads us really nicely into kind of, an, uh, hopefully what's quite useful for some of our listeners who are out there thinking, wow, this sounds really quite both transformative and important. Could you Could you give our listeners a little bit of an idea of what it might look like uh, where a team is using laughter and play and creating space for that in their work. Yeah, shall I start, Steph, and you build yeah. on? So um, I think, you know, simple is always best in my world. You know, <laughs> the world's too complex as it is. So, you know, coming up with with fancy things, you know, that get put in a drawer somewhere or expensive things that people, you know, are a bit precious about. You know, I think it's looking at what can we simply do? We know that this is an innate ability. It feels right. Um, I think some of the key things is, you know, to 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 focus on it more, to give a bit more permission, maybe develop a better understanding and to start. So can we start simply? Yes. You know, whether it's with you and another, you and a team, you know, and saying, look, you know, for this moment of time, what can we hold objectively? What is it we want to think about? And it could be something quite simple, something complex. You know, a lot of teams that you work with in innovation and creativity, they have kind of the blue sky thinking sessions, but really just creating a moment in time where you can step back, even if it's just for 10 minutes or an hour um, and starting to, to play. Um, and by that, it could be there's a bit of a goal. You know, it's not just free play. It's it's there's a focused element to it. Maybe there are some characteristics that you want to bring in, um, such as, um, you know, what are the things that we want to feel more of? 
Um, so you could be using this to dial up more psychological safety in your team if you feel that's needed or whatever else is the need. Or you could be looking at a particular problem you want to solve or something you want to create, whatever the focal is, and then looking at different ways to develop. So, But with the contracting in play, using that word a lot now, I've noticed. <laughs> um, so that, that contract in saying, look, you know, the outcome might be not what we expect. You know, this is one of the things with play. You know, it it can lead us to areas and outcomes that, you know, we can't anticipate before we start. So let's get that up front. What is our expectations of this? Um, and, and really kind of talking about that and making it as kind of simple and easy as possible. Um, some tools and techniques, simple whiteboarding or drawing getting things down sometimes it's not always the words we're saying you know words can be you know helpful but also sometimes people struggle with words to find the right words so a drawing painting a picture even though you know most of us can't draw doesn't matter you know let's just get the idea you know lego you know Steph. so I'm, I'm sure you know you'll build on this now Steph, with all the work you've done in that space you know bringing um a box of lego i mean the number of times i've done that with teams you know men in their mid-40s i've never seen so gleeful you know to get involved and engaged and with very little instruction they can really model their worlds so you can model how things are currently uh, how would you like them to be? Huge insights are coming out there. But all of these abilities are bringing in the ability to step back and observe from distance, which in a way is letting go of the ego. Um, so there's a few bits. Hopefully that that helps. Steph, did you want to kind of add to that? Yeah, I was just thinking in terms of practical things. And I'm just thinking in terms of how we work with clients that it's it's not a one size fits all. So, you know, for some, it might be, I haven't mentioned, but I'm also a laughter yoga leader. So for some, it might literally just be coming together as a team and laughing for no reason, you know, just to just to connect, especially again, you know, in the context that we're in. Um, so it's not a one size fits all. It's kind of what you need. You know, what level is your psychological safety at? And what we haven't talked about, you know, the potential damage you can do with play and playfulness and humor you know so you know that we talk a lot about authenticity and you can't force somebody but equally um you know if we don't share the same um you know the same lenses from which we kind of share our humor and our play that can be very isolating for some members of the team um you know you know with diversity inclusion you know if, if some humor can be used in a very hurtful way you know to, to people who feel in a minority of the team and so i think there isn't a one size fits all, which which is, you know, difficult because I want to offer something practical, but it does very, it depends on the team you're talking about, you know, whether you go from, as you say, you know, kind of some well led sessions in house, uh, using post-its or using anything that will kind of get you into that observing space rather than the over identification space and mindful that you're creating safety, that you're creating, you know, psychological safety in terms of not that we're talking about deep emotional issues if we don't want to, but, you know, that I'm allowed to use my imagination. I'm allowed to come up with ideas without being penalized because it sounds stupid or, you know, I will be judged by it. Um, and there's a whole range. And then you get into a whole kind of, you know, Lego series play facilitation days where you kind of were 
you really get to know what the values of the team are and you really nail that and you really understand each other so that when you come into situations of uncertainty, you all know what values you're working from and therefore you're, you're, you, you have a decision-making process already in place. Um, so, so yeah, I wish I could say, Here are some, you know, but it, it, it's, it's, it's easy and it's difficult, which I guess takes us right back to the beginning that, you know, yeah. it's, it's so easy, but it's also quite complex, which is why it's so interesting and exciting. Can I just can I add to that, Val? Is, is that right? Just, just one bit that I think we, we haven't really touched on, which is, um, you know, in, in a playfulness space, you know, we do a lot of um, one-to-one coaching, uh, both within businesses and privately, um, and bringing in more the playful elements, um, it can help release a lot of emotions. Mm. So while we're, mm. here today we were talking about laughter is, you know, one of the more positive um, emotions with, with all sorts of benefits, um, holding a playful space, um, the ability to step back and observe um can really help for a whole range of things and in that space we can cover and release and and open up uh, the ability to cater for all emotions because really this idea of positive and negative emotions you know sometimes isn't helpful we have emotions and uh, the ability to release them helps us move forward and if they're repressed or suppressed that can cause blocks and barriers which again can really kind of muck up you know the dynamics of a team or, or individuals so um you know sometimes it sounds a bit strange but you know you can have a playful session you know and some people might be in tears for a moment you know they're releasing um as well as you know other emotions too and you mentioned so it's interesting because you you mentioned words around sort of blockers and barriers to teams gen, sort of generally and how things can crop up. What what blocks or what gets in the way of teams playing? Why don't why don't we just do this? Yeah, I would imagine most people, you know, um, would be saying initially time, effort. Um, let's keep doing the same or what we've what we've been taught a lot of the management books that we followed you know were written you know off the work of the industrial revolution you know and, and so a lot of the work isn't really updating um so i think you know we are going through a bit of a shift and hopefully this work that we're doing now is helping move some of that forward but i think that that would be the original you know the, some of the key top of mind things you know this is so important we don't have time to muck about and play you know let's be serious and let's get in here and and you know work hard and focus you know um and uh, let's crack the whip you know that that some of that stuff is probably um you know a part of that um, I think some of the other parts that we touched on were around permission and understanding and getting a better picture of, you know, the role that, you know, play isn't just for the creative arts or for, you know, musicians jamming or, you know, things that are a bit more frivolous in nature. You know, they have it has a role uh, no matter what you're doing or trying to create. Um, so I think there's something around permission and the culture and what is permissive by the, the management and leadership. So I think leaders have a role to play there. They can do do more. And I don't mean, you know, go around laughing your head off, you know, in the, in the corridor, you know, as, you know um, but, you know, looking at what, what is right for you and the culture and the people that you're working with. Presence is a big part. 
Uh, you can only be playful if you're fully present. A lot of our teams, individuals, we know that stress, um, you know, and I'm not talking about good stress, you know, the you stress, but, you know, if people are moving into distress or overwhelm, um, you know, we know that that impinges and affects our ability to create, do, think, all, all of the good stuff that we want our employees to do. Um, and if they're anxious or depressed, you know, they're not in the present moment. They're either worried about stuff that's going to happen or worried about the junk that's happened before. Um, so developing this capability of being present, you can see how that really knits into play, um, resilience and, and all of those other key things. Just to add to that, you know, you were, um, Jane, you were saying earlier about, um, you know, is it possible to be playful and look at serious topics? Um, and, you know, we talked about that depends on your definition of, of play and playfulness. But I think there is also potentially, you know, a fear that if I let my my employees be playful and think playfully, I'm losing control because, you know, I'm 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 giving them the autonomy to kind of think creatively, think innovatively. And that as a leader, if you're if you're using the kind of older leadership models can be quite threatening because then what's your place? Um, you know, so so I think that's a potential barrier. And sometimes it's not realizing how important it is. And and like we said before, you know, the play, the work, we keep them separate. Um, and also not knowing how to do it. You know, maybe actually the person responsible for 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 bringing more playful attitude to the work has their own blocks, you know, their own um uh perceptions of how they can access playfulness and what's stopping them. Maybe they feel a little bit silly or they feel you know, judged or they feel their credibility is undermined. Um, so I think, you know, the blockers are on the personal level, um, on the cultural level, and also a bit on the systemic level as well. Um, but I don't want to end on that because I think they're all surmountable. When I was going to jump in um, just a second ago, what I was going to actually ask was, if we've got people listening, say we've got uh, leaders of smaller, medium-sized teams, and they like the idea of this, but but they feel maybe nervous about the idea of trying to be playful, or or don't really know what to do with this, or feel maybe they're they're uncertain about how they can do this well. What what thoughts would you have for them? Are there any you know simple things you'd be able to share with them to help them step forward a little bit? Any advice for them? Yeah, and part of sometimes I think we we miss the obvious. You know, sometimes I'm I'm just thinking about just having a conversation with the people you work with, <laughs> just kind of saying, listen, you know. I've heard of this stuff. It's good. What do we think? What are people comfortable with? What can we try? Where where are the, the barriers? What are people not comfortable with? You know, you don't want to be David Brent from the office, you know. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, but but he was too insecure and he 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 didn't have the courage to kind of say, I want this to be a happy place. How do we do it together? He felt he needed to impose that on people. So you know, that's the obvious, isn't it? To take a step back and actually just talk and listen and, and, and see what ideas other people have rather than thinking you as a leader has, have to come up with all the, the ideas and solutions. Teresa, you look like you were going to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, you know, and that really touches on, you know, servant leadership and, and you know, when you are managing intellectual teams and wanting them to create, you know, your role as a leader shifts and your abilities then and your focus is to what is it that the team needs um in order to to do what they need to do for the company and how as a leader can I facilitate that and I think that 
you know that that creates a very different atmosphere um so you know I think exactly like you said have the conversation you know get some pens and paper out anything that can make the subjective objective something you can build together good old whiteboard you know in zoom you know just draw on a bit of paper and put it to the camera you know a lot of teams are working in zoom at the moment we're doing a lot of facilitation with teams on zoom you know and it's working very well because it is all about this uh, communicating and you know some of the key things that you you mentioned there Steph was you know listening big big skill you know it's a wonderful you know ability being present really hearing what is the person saying what is the team saying um you know these are all qualities that you know come into play that you can just do every day you know it doesn't have to be under the label of right let's just do a play session now folks you know for the next 20 minutes <laughs> time you know I mean that that will probably move you straight into stonefish mode but, but you know kind of bring in some of this subtle stuff in curiosity massive quality and curiosity that's positive you know tell me more about that where is it leading us um all of those traits I think have, have a part Great. Well, thank you. Um, in the interest of time, I'm going to wrap us up. We, we've had a, a great conversation there. Just before we finish, though, is there anything else you'd like to say about how people can learn more about what you do or get in touch? Um, well, they can um, contact if, contact me on LinkedIn and um, I'm the contact point for, for both of us on this. Um, so Stephanie Wheeler on LinkedIn um, or um, my email address is on my website, which is stephaniewheeler.co.uk. Um, and yeah, we're very happy to have a conversation with somebody, you know, people who are curious and would like to know more. Um, very happy. We're, as you can tell, we're, we're very passionate about this subject yeah, and always happy it. with an opportunity to talk about it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, so contacting us and we can always point them to resources if, if, if that's what they're needing or, you know, we're happy to have a conversation. That's great. Yeah. So we'll, we'll share um, we'll share those details when we uh, publish the podcast. Um, and hopefully when the book's out, we'll uh, be able to share that as well with people. That sounds like a, a fun thank project. You. Yeah, thank you guys very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. thank you so much. Okay, so you are back in the room with us. That was our conversation with Stephanie and Teresa. And I thought there was some great stuff in there, some, some really... Um, really interesting subjects and, and quite a lot of content to take away, uh, which is always exciting. Did anything stand out for you specifically, Jane, that you'd like to reflect on? Well, I, I, I want to give a little shout out to something that's not exactly on topic, which is that I think I might now refer to certain moments as stonefish moments. Um, <laughs> yes, I really enjoyed that. But also, I think um, I feel like the the thing that strikes me again is the the damage that has been done to the way we work and our experience of work by this prevailing narrative of the sort of last part of the 20th century around work has to be hard and diligent and focused, but not not necessarily in a good way. Like it should be something to be disciplined and suffered. Um, and somehow that idea that that, that narrative of management and managerialism has, has sort of affected our ability to enjoy and to be playful and to make space and time to to laugh and to to share in playful experiences i think um just really hit me yeah it's true i mean it really draws to life the fact that we think of work as just that you know something that's effortful and with i guess less reward than we're used to and, and that kind of stuff um I, I guess a couple of things stood out for me one was around 
the importance of all the range of emotion. So, so it was interesting a few times we were speaking about, you know, the benefits of, of work and, and laughter and, and playfulness. Um, but it was noted that it's not just those more positive emotions that we need to focus on. We need to give space to the full range of emotions. And that use of language as, as positive and negative emotions isn't always helpful because, as uh, I think it was Teresa said, those are all just emotions that we feel. And, and that's a very human thing. So I think that's powerful. Um, and one other thing that I thought was interesting was that, um, that <clears throat> pardon me, one other thing that I thought was interesting was that when we're speaking about, you know, using play and laughter and work, we sometimes have to be considerate of others as well, because there can be some damage to it. So if we have playfulness that's not inclusive, that can be hurtful. And I just think that's a really kind of insightful reflection of the way work can be at times. And it's, uh, on us all to, to bear that in mind and to bring some of that inclusivity into the way we play. That makes total sense to me. Um, and uh, regular listeners will have noticed it's a bit longer than most of our interview episodes. And I guess that's because we felt, as we were talking through it, there was just so much to explore and it was quite a different topic from what we normally talk about. And yet has so many common themes with so much of what we talk about around things like psychological safety and taking time to develop your team and trust and things like that. All right, well, let us leave it there. Um, you can learn more at our website, www.worldofwork.io, or check us out on LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, at the Wow Podcast is where you'll find us on Twitter. So until next time, it is goodbye from me. Yeah, and it's goodbye from me too. Hi, thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work Podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.